Dr. Henry doubles down on travel restrictions. There's a hockey team in the interior that traveled to Alberta and has come back and now there are dozens of people who are infected. Bad decisions pushing COVID cases higher and new restrictions on team sports. An angry customer confronts staff at a Starbucks. You can't tell somebody where to stand. The COVID protocols he didn't want to follow and the price he paid. And a technical glitch hits TransLink. What do you think of this? It really sucks. Why commuters were forced to use cash instead of cards. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. And we begin with breaking COVID-19 developments and new restrictions for adult team sports. First, let's get a look at the latest numbers. We have 834 new cases in B.C., bringing our total to 34,728. Sadly, 12 more people have died. That means we've now lost 469 people to the virus. 337 people are in hospital, 79 in the ICU, 23 3,424 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 10,201 people in self-isolation and a record 8,941 active cases. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on today's breaking developments. Keith, let's start with the new restrictions, and they're going to hit adult team sports. Yes, and they're quite sweeping. So effective immediately, all adult team sports, both indoors and outdoors, are banned. So curling's out, uh, basketball out, uh, men's so or soccer games outside out. And again, these are team sports, whether it's indoors or outdoors. Just got off the phone with health officials who tell me the reason for this is there's a number of transmissions that have occurred as a result of a bond spiel, for example. The after-game socializing that a lot of adults engage in when they do beer league hockey, for example. Beer league hockey's now out. You can't do that. Uh, in terms of youth sports, there's going to be some restrictions there, too. Going back to what's called stage two, drills and skills only, no games. So all interleague games are, are done now for now. Anyways, while this order is in effect, Dr. Henry pointed out today there was a major transmission event uh, associated with the traveling of an adult uh, hockey team that went to Alberta where the virus is surging in considerable numbers, bringing it back into the interior and literally affecting dozens of families and businesses. Here's Dr. Henry. And we know that there are sports teams in BC that have traveled to other provinces despite the restrictions that we've put in place. And we know, if, for example, there's a hockey team in the interior that traveled to Alberta and has come back and now there are dozens of people who are infected and it has spread in the community. We need to stop right now. It's got to be disappointing for a lot of uh, uh, amateur athletes who are hearing mm -hmm. this news tonight. Frustrating for many who are doing their part, Keith, feeling the strain of this, and then they see or hear about people breaking the rules. Yeah, and we asked Dr. Bonnie Henry about that today. Again, she points out, from her take, the vast majority of people are obeying the rules. And she is calling for people to, again, be compassionate here. But she takes heart in what she's seen in the behavior of British Columbians, despite those sort of outliers and scofflaws who insist on breaking the rules. Again, here's Dr. Henry. It's a very small group of people that we often focus on that, that causes outrage. And it does. And it, it makes me upset when I see this sometimes, knowing, knowing how many people have died in our long-term care homes, knowing how hard our health care workers are working every single day and how everybody is tired. It really makes you angry to see these small groups of people who are trying to make a point that is misguided. 
but we can't let ourselves um, take that in because we need to support each other. I have to say that was quite the briefing today from Dr. Bonnie Henry. A lot uh, going on there. Uh, again, the advice for British Columbians, follow the rules. We're going to be at it again tomorrow. Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix will hold another uh, briefing tomorrow afternoon uh, with the latest numbers and the later, latest advice and some more details about that public health order that, again, affects all amateur uh, adult uh, athletes out there who participate in team sports. You now cannot do that, either outdoors or indoors. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Right. Struggling, uh, struggling parents are calling for more help from the province to navigate the daycare system during the pandemic. As Kylie Stanton reports, with toddlers being sent home for nearly every cough and sniffle, parents are at their wits' end and taking a financial hit, too. Toys are put away and the house is quiet, but this is becoming increasingly rare as childcare facilities hold the line on health and safety protocols. No cough is allowed, of course, no fever, vomiting, diarrhea. For Sherry Stahl, that's meant keeping her children home, even at the onset of a sniffle. Not to return until they've been symptom-free for 48 hours. A kid can have a runny nose and a cough for a good two weeks easily, right? The spot's still being paid for, despite barely being used. A couple weeks of daycare, at least, um, they've missed. And having two children in daycare, that's a significant hardship. Stall is not alone in this. Parents across the province are paying their fees in full while taking time off or attempting to work from home, waiting it out as children make their way through the cold and flu season. I hear the parents' frustration. But childcare operators, while sympathetic, have no choice at this point. They're still taking up a spot is, is what it comes down to. And if they don't come and they don't want to pay, how the bill's going to get, how the wage is going to get paid and the bill's going to get paid. When the pandemic first hit, the government stepped in, providing temporary emergency funding to licensed operators, covering off costs while parents pulled their children, keeping their coveted spots without having to pay. But that came to an end August 31st. Now, in the second wave, with so many children staying home, this time due to illness, there's hope the province will step in once again. I haven't had a formal proposal from uh, the childcare sector. I know uh, Minister Chen uh, will be advising us. And if uh, Minister Chen brings that forward, we'll give it serious consideration. Stahl doesn't question the measures in place. In fact, she completely supports them. But it's coming to a point where the juggling act simply isn't worth it. A lot of moms are having to weigh the pros and cons. Do I quit my job and stay home with my children? Or do I try and push through and... Um, suffer the financial consequences of this. It would be really nice to have some sort of help when there are stricter measures. Kylie Stanton, Global News. RCMP on Vancouver Island say a man has been given two tickets under the COVID-19 Related Measures Act for failing to wear a mask. This video posted to Facebook shows the 40-year-old West Shore man yelling at staff inside of View Royal Starbucks and refusing to wear a mask. Later that day, the man again refused to wear a mask while inside a gas station in nearby Langford. He was then asked to leave and RCMP say he became belligerent with staff. RCMP say both the $230 tickets were for failing to wear a face covering. The man was released with conditions that include not attending the gas station and promising to appear in court. 
There are growing calls tonight for governments to improve sick day benefits for people who are forced to stay home. Premier John Horgan is hinting at a provincial program in the future. But as Richard Zussman reports, he's attaching conditions to any provincial help. <coughs> Broken program. And the worker has to apply, lose the wages, and then wait for the funds to come in. With COVID-19 cases on the rise, cracks are showing in the federal government's sick leave program. Right now, only those sick with COVID or isolating because of it can apply. The application, complex, compensation, limited. and doesn't include those without or out of sick day benefits who are told to stay home due to a sore throat or sniffles. We need to have something that people understand, something that's accessible, something that doesn't um, put them in a terrible position of choosing between paying the rent and a mortgage and, and for medicines and food. Jugmeet Singh and the federal NDP attempted to amend the program, but gaps remain. We wanted this to be a broad paid sick leave for all Canadians, period. Uh, as soon as someone is sick, they should be able to take, take uh, access to this service. And that's what we had intended. The Liberals uh, limited it. Premier John Horgan was the first to push Ottawa for a sick day program. He says he's waiting to see more proof of stories of people forced to stay home by an employer and are not getting paid. I want to see the evidence, the data that demonstrates that there are examples such as the one that you've suggested. But we have been all along prepared to put in place our own program. But analysts say the province can and should step in now, pointing to the province as the one responsible for employee standards. Paid sick leave should be a condition of employment as it is in most countries, advanced countries of the world. A comprehensive program, the difference between a worker deciding to show up at work with potential symptoms or staying at home. <coughs> Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. An unwelcome surprise for Metro Vancouver commuters today as they headed for SkyTrain. TransLink has disabled its credit card payment options, forcing people to use cash. Global's Jordan Armstrong joins us now live. And Jordan, TransLink is still not saying exactly what this is all about, but it sounds like cybercrime of some kind. Yeah, indeed, Chris. TransLink wouldn't take any questions today. So in the absence of information, the employee rumor mill is in overdrive tonight. The most popular rumor being that this may have been a ransomware attack with the alleged ransom in the neighborhood of five to $10 million. The full impact on customers isn't clear yet, but there was one obvious side effect we saw today. Not everyone was on a roll. TransLink commuters paying by debit or credit found themselves going nowhere fast. It's inconvenient. I have so many cards I can want to put, but I cannot put it. Or shelling out $3 for the ATM fee to buy a single-use ticket with cash, which was the only option. Plus the $150 in my bank will, will charge me, so it's an extra $450. The IT system outage also affected employees. Sources inside TransLink say the phones, bus radio system, and email were all down. SkyTrain work orders were temporarily being done on Microsoft Notepad. We're told the computer that controls trains was not affected as it is on an internal server. We've seen a number of these kind of events in Canada uh, over the past uh, two months. Uh, Montreal's transit system had a very similar shutdown of services in certain ways, like their website. The hacker there demanded nearly $3 million ransom. 
but Montreal's transit agency refused to pay. Amid uncertainty about the scope of TransLink's apparent breach, technology expert Jesse Miller says it's probably a good idea for customers and employees to change their passwords. If you are using similar password information for the Compass card as you are for your financial, as you are for your social media, you want to take steps to, to reset that. So the main investigation here is being handled by Transit Police. BC RCMP confirmed they are also assisting. Here is the statement from Transit Police. We, in partnership with local and national cybercrime experts, are investigating the suspicious network activity experienced by TransLink yesterday morning. No further information will be provided at this time. Again, perhaps the biggest unanswered question here is, has the personal sensitive information of customers or employees been compromised? If TransLink knows the answer tonight, Chris, it's not saying. Late word, we can tell you that the credit cards can now be used to tap and pay at the fare gate. The vending machines are still cash only, but if all you carry is plastic, at least there's one option now. Chris? Better for commuters for sure. Okay, thanks very much, Jordan. A shocking twist at the Smuggler's Inn trial. How an American facing immigration charges might have exposed a flaw in Canadian law. That's next on the News Hour. A major rally for farmers in India. Why protesters here are showing support for those struggling thousands of kilometers away coming up. And it's been a long time since we've seen one of these in the air. A flight to prove the Boeing Max aircraft are safe. Later. Right now, though, a big legal win for the owner of a bed and breakfast along Zero Avenue. Robert Boulay stands accused of smuggling people across the border. But there has been a significant ruling in the Canadian case against him. Paul Johnson joins us live with the details. Paul, this ruling is in Boulay's favour, but it could also trigger a rewrite of border enforcement laws. That's what some people are wondering, Sophie, after all of the weird twists and turns in this case, it now appears that Robert Boulay's story has blown some serious holes in Canada's Federal Immigration Act. Now, most of you will know Robert Boulay is the man who owns the Smugglers Inn down in Blaine, Washington, which added to the shock value when he was arrested and charged with allegedly helping people try to sneak into Canada. He was in a lot of trouble, facing some serious penalties. Then last week, a Canadian judge ruled that portions of the law he was charged under overreach in terms of those penalties, and she declared those parts of it invalid. Now, Boulay is not totally out of the woods yet, but people watching this case consider this a big win for him. The immigration law included regulations, ministerial instructions, and material incorporated by reference, literally thousands of other conditions. Well, in Canada, you can't have a blank check in the law for penalty provisions. Because the law itself was defective, it couldn't be used to convict. I think it's a win for Bob. It gives him peace of mind. But I think until the case is finally closed, I think that's when Bob will, will be happy. I spoke to Bob today, and he's hoping for a settlement and the criminal charges at some point to be dismissed. 
So if you've been following this case, you might recall a few weeks ago we reported another really intriguing angle to the Robert Boulay saga that for all of this time that this was going on with respect to the Canadian allegations, Boulay had claimed in court papers in the United States that he was a confidential informant for U.S. Customs. He was passing on intelligence to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security about the people who were allegedly crossing his property into Canada. Customs told us they could neither confirm nor deny that. Chris? Intriguing. Thank you, Paul. Amazing. All right, another uh, former high-ranking RCMP officer testified today in the Cullen Commission into money laundering at B.C. casinos. Wayne Holland served as the officer in charge of the Integrated Illegal Gaming Enforcement Team. That unit was founded in 2004, but after Holland asked for more, uh, uh, more officers and resources, it was instead shut down. John Hua reports. When Wayne Holland took over command of BC's Illegal Gaming Task Force in 2007, he was told by his RCMP superiors the plan was to raise the stakes. It was them telling me before I even came there or as I came there, you will be. We will be doubling the size of the unit. Holland told the Cullen Commission he wrote in a business case to the unit's consultative board. If I get what shut down, criminals could operate around casinos with impunity. You give a criminal entity an open door, a foothold, they will entrench. And they're like moss on a rock. They will grow. They will prosper. With support from his superiors, money was even being spent on office renovations to accommodate extra staff. I, I fully expected that in early 2009... We would have gotten the extension and personnel would have started arriving at my front door. But despite a threat assessment that showed the danger of loan sharking and money laundering at BC casinos, instead of doubling down in September of 2008, Holland got the first warning I get could be disbanded. My intention was to confirm that Minister Coleman was aware because he was the specific individual who would have had final say. Holland was asked if he believed Coleman, the minister responsible for gaming at the time, would have been aware of the business case and threat assessment. Whoever made this decision did it with sober reflection and was properly and fully informed. Coleman has told Global News as a potential witness he won't comment on other testimony, but did tell media at the time I get was shut down for being ineffective, redundant and not having a business plan. Holland disagreed with it all. There was no business plan. Well, we know, in fact, that my predecessor produced one. So there were at least two business plans. Another key player who might have at least been aware of the decision, Peter German, the RCMP's former assistant commissioner for the Lower Mainland and the person the BC NDP government later paid to determine what went wrong. I, that would astonish me to think that the commander of the Lower Mainland, um, who relied on our specialized services, wouldn't have been taken into confidence or, or consulted. The last commander of IGET still wants to know who made the final call to shut it down. What Holland is certain of, the consequences of that decision. Illegal activities continue to prosper and in fact expand. John Hua, Global News. Up ahead, a bunch of COVID-killing robots. The local health authority that just purchased a fleet of them to help fight off infection. And the mayor of Revelstoke responds after a family there requests to be infected with COVID.
Traffic is still in recovery mode here westbound on the east-west connector after clearing an earlier crash. Backed up to Westminster Highway right through the S-curve. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and real Canadian superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. I have the east-west connector in Richmond. The mayor of Revelstoke is pleading with residents there to take COVID-19 precautions seriously after someone posted in an online forum asking to be exposed. In this video posted online Tuesday by the city of Revelstoke, Mayor Gary Saul's response to the post, which has since been taken down. The anonymous poster said they're looking to build up natural immunity and can provide housing for a night or however long it takes and goes on to say they were unsuccessful contracting it from the first COVID-19 guest. People, you are playing with a loaded gun, and that loaded gun may not be pointed at you, but may be pointed at your family or the people out in the community. So I just encourage you to try and stay away from those who are uh, COVID positive. They've been told to go home, to isolate, to make sure that they don't spread. And so don't put yourself in that situation. Officials say there are at least 46 cases connected to the Revelstoke cluster. And Mayor Sauls is pleading with residents to follow all safety protocols and for non-residents to avoid all non-essential travel to the mountain town. Some high-tech reinforcements are being brought in to help hospitals in the fight against COVID-19. Fraser Health is adding a fleet of 14 disinfecting robots to the workforce. And as Ted Chernecki reports, the multi-million dollar team of machines is being dispatched to hospitals across the region. By now it's clear Fraser Health is the epicenter of round two of COVID in BC. Active cases here are six times that of neighboring coastal health. Intensive care units are filling up fast, the death rate grim. They're throwing everything at the virus, including 14 new ultraviolet germicidal radiation units, or UVGRs. What it does, within about two meters around the robot, it effectively uh, removes um, most of the pathogens, including spores. It takes adds about 20 minutes to a regular uh, room cleaning. It's a machine that mimics the sun. Those ultraviolet rays that give you a sunburn are of one wavelength, but there's another wavelength that cannot penetrate the atmosphere, so nothing on Earth is immune to its power. It's a technology that's being used in Major League Sports to disinfect team dressing rooms, fitness areas, or any other gathering space. Until now, Fraser Health had been renting two similar units. It's been about five years that we had um, um, UVGI in, in Fraser Health, so uh, with COVID, we just expanded uh, dramatically, but because uh, these robots can kill any pathogens, so uh, we will continue using them uh, post-pandemic. With a total of 16 machines, Fraser Health now has the power to rapid deploy. They are uh, stationed uh, at uh, 12 um, acute care sites in Fraser Health. But they are also um, deployed to uh, long-term care facilities with uh, outbreaks. The 14 machines cost about $2 million, paid by various hospital foundations and Fraser Health. There's a naming competition underway for each robot, with the first two now called Bonnie and Henry. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Of course they are. <laughs> Makes sense. Still ahead, a restaurant helping kids pull through the pandemic. It really is uh, a win for everybody. 
How they cooked up a plan to put food on the table for hungry children. And taking to the streets in a show of support for farmers struggling half a world away. Cancer is relentless, but for every patient, every chemo appointment, every radiation treatment, BC Cancer is there to change the outcome. With your help, BC Cancer won't stop until it's done. Donate today at bccancerfoundation.com. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel, a much, much better option for you in and out of Richmond and Delta this evening. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $11 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99 and the Massey Tunnel. They're still grounded here in Canada, but south of the border, the 737 MAX has returned to the skies. American Airlines today flew a demonstration flight to prove to the public that this plane is safe. Regulators around the world grounded the MAX in March of last year after two of the jets crashed. A total of 346 passengers and crew members, including 18 Canadians, were killed. American is the first U.S. airline to return the MAX to its schedule starting on December 29th. A police call for a break and enter in the Okanagan took a wild turn and ended up as a full-scale rescue involving the military. RCMP were called to a property near Osoyoos where five B&E suspects had been caught on surveillance camera. Four suspects were arrested, but one fled. And a determined officer chased the suspect. They both ended up trapped down a 120-meter ravine. And as police were trying to rescue them, the suspect was developing hypothermia. It took a number of hours of uh, various plans and efforts to try and get that officer and his prisoner out of the ravine before our frontline officers realized that they needed to call for some specialized help. Well, that specialized help was the military. After police and neighbours threw down warm clothing and supplies to make a fire, a Canadian Armed Forces rescue plane and helicopter were called in from Comox. The suspect was airlifted to hospital. The uninjured officer rescued an hour later. Police are also thanking one particular civilian for going above and beyond to get supplies to the officer and the suspect. A huge show of support and solidarity in B.C. today for the Punjabi farmers angry with the Indian government's agricultural reforms. A mass convoy of cars driving from Surrey to Vancouver, highlighting just how deeply the international protests resonate here. Nadia Stewart reports. It is a local protest that's part of an international fight for India's farmers. My brother-in-law, my nephew... They are sitting in the rallies almost two months. For Parm Randawa and many in Surrey, their families' livelihoods are on the line. If our families struggling there, we can't like live here like properly. We have to come here and protest against the Modi Sarkar. Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government says the new legislation gives farmers more freedom to bargain directly with buyers instead of the government buying their crops at a guaranteed price. But the farmers fear this leaves them at the mercy of big corporations who will exploit them. The new rules took effect in September without any consultation. Now support for their fight is growing here in Surrey and beyond. Canada will always be there to defend the right of peaceful protest 
We believe in the importance of dialogue, and that's why we've reached out uh, through multiple means directly to uh, the Indian authorities uh, to highlight our concerns. They're literally fighting for their lives right now. Uh, if these bills aren't removed, uh, it's literally game over for like 50% of Punjab's farmers, which is like the vast majority of who our backgrounds and our families are. This drive-in protest, the safest option in the midst of a pandemic, with demonstrators taking their fight all the way to the Indian consulate in downtown Vancouver. Our brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, for many people here, are actually sitting on these uh, on the front lines in Delhi right now. So it's a very deep connection to us. Those here vowing to keep fighting, even as attempts at a resolution between the farmers and Indian government continue to go nowhere. Nadia Stork, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, December 2nd is officially Women's Brain Health Day in Canada, a chance to shine a light on the fact that many brain health conditions occur more frequently in women than in men. This year, with so many added stressors, experts say it's critical, critical to keep the conversation going about ways to improve our brain health. Global's Catherine Ward reports. It was total devastation. My heart sank and, you know, I knew my life would never be the same. Alzheimer's. Barbara Schechter's mother, Donna, received the diagnosis just weeks ahead of her 65th birthday. For the former schoolteacher, loving mother, and doting grandmother, it took nearly a year for doctors to arrive at that conclusion. I think from that moment on, I was sort of just mourning. I felt a loss for what I felt like I, the life I should be living and the mom I should be having. According to Women's Brain Health Initiative, roughly 70% of Alzheimer's patients are women. Women are twice as likely as men to suffer from depression, stress and anxiety. And while women tend to live longer than men, their healthy life expectancy is 25% less. Experts studying the human brain say the pandemic has presented unique challenges for people of all ages. Stress, isolation, lack of social connections are some of the environmental factors scientists are tracking. Younger women I'm concerned about because stress, short-term stress is probably very good for the brain, but long-term chronic stress is not. Health advocates say taking the time to address brain health early on can lead to positive results. It's, it, it's cumulative, right? And the earlier you start, the stronger the protective effect will be. Barbara has not been able to see her mom since October 20th, when they marked Donna's 72nd birthday. The weight of Alzheimer's always present, even during family celebrations. There's not a day that I that goes by that I don't think about this disease and worry that I'm going to get it. Catherine Ward, Global News. Still to come, a pandemic pivot for the Cloverdale Rodeo. We feel really positive moving forward, but it's been a tough year. How movie magic is going to help it survive. And in sports, COVID leads to a rare Wednesday afternoon NFL game with a lot of fans watching from Abbotsford. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A charity that helps fight child hunger and a struggling Vancouver restaurant have partnered up with a unique initiative. Backpack Buddies and Fable Kitchen are hosting virtual holiday parties that include online cooking classes. Linda Aylesworth has more on how the innovative idea is tackling three pandemic problems all at once. 
You don't have to tell Chef Trevor Bird that times are tough in the restaurant business. For Fable Kitchen in Vancouver, survival has meant adapting. I mean, the amount of renditions we've been through and concepts and takeout and to-go meals and, you know, we're, we're basically throwing things at a wall until something sticks. One of those things, virtual online cooking classes. This is a reverse seared or how to cook steak like a badass class. We deliver the meal to your door and then we take you through um, a live YouTube stream of how you of how to prepare all of the food in the bag. One of the first to try it out, Emily Ann King, who thought it would be a fun mother-daughter activity. We really had so much fun that it dawned on us that we should reach out to Trevor and see if he might be willing to host one of these for our organization. That organization Backpack Buddies, which ensures that children who rely on school programs for meals don't go hungry over the weekend. At least that was their mandate. When the pandemic hit in March and schools obviously closed, the weekend hunger gap became seven days long. So what we did was increase our bags of food to have way more meals in them. The number of children in need increased as well, from 1,300 to almost 3,000. And so it was that a partnership between Backpack Buddies and Fable Kitchen was born. Partnering with the Backpack Buddies has definitely saved the business. If not, and we didn't have this, I would probably have to lay off more people, which would be brutal. This opportunity is just a win-win-win for, for everybody. Each ticket that's being purchased is feeding a child for three consecutive weekends with over 27 meals provided. And with companies looking for novel alternatives to Christmas parties, business is booming. We can do more. We can do more. <laughs> just not in the next, like, 14 days. <laughs> Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It looks like fun. Love her energy and enthusiasm mm -hmm. and uh, great work by everyone involved. All right, time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at that forecast. And if you can drum up more days like today, Christy, we would all be so thankful. <laughs> and I might be out of a job, I think. <laughs> Yes, uh, it was uh, so nice to have that blue sky today, and I would like to deliver more of it. We do have some, but we also have some grayer days on the way. Here's a quick look at the fog, though, this morning. Terrific shots looking out over Burnaby. Thank you to Alton for that one. Very heavy fog, as you can see here, and it wasn't so thick in through the Pitt Meadows area, but that meant a fog bow appeared. That's when the sun's rays refract off of the moisture in the fog rather than off the moisture, the fall, you know, falling rain, for example. So a fog bow rather than a rainbow. And yes, incredible. I love this time of year when the frost starts to produce incredible forms. This is frost hair. It's basically moisture inside of a somewhat dead log and it starts to seep out as it condenses or sorry as it freezes it actually grows in size and so it's forced out of those cracks tomorrow as i mentioned a little bit more cloud cover west coast of vancouver island central coast and north coast will see periods of rain for our region a slight chance of showers tomorrow afternoon but otherwise mainly overcast skies but we're back to sunshine on friday it's just one little blip in the forecast those of you across inland sections of the north coast and central coast watch for freezing rain tomorrow morning mainly cloudy and through the interior interior regions, you're dealing with sort of that uh, valley fog type of scenario. So the sun is higher up and the cloud is lower down and you're trapped underneath it. So for our region, mainly cloudy tomorrow, sunshine Friday and Saturday, but this upper level ridge is expected to break down Saturday night. We're back to rain Sunday and into our Monday. And I'll leave you with your central windows weather window, which is looking out from North Vancouver towards downtown. And yes, it looks like that sea uh, bus is carrying passengers mm. off to nowhere. <laughs> yeah, we'll take your word for it that that's what we're looking at there.
Wild. All right. Thanks. A lot of fog. All right. Uh, Squires here. A lot of folks in the newsroom were glued to the TVs and not because of Dr. Bonnie Henry's press conference today. (laughs) Well, it was a rare Wednesday afternoon football game. Uh, And no matter what day of the week it is, the Pittsburgh Steelers can't seem to lose. Now, it helped a lot that Baltimore's main players were on the COVID roster rather than the game roster, but Pittsburgh is still 11-0. Also coming up, lights, camera, action. Why the Cloverdale Rodeo Grounds look a lot more like Hollywood these days. He's got the count in his head right now. I do. Why? Well, because Squire's writing. It always reminds me of Sesame Street. (laughs) Well, because you know who reminds me of the count and everybody else. And everybody else. I mean, really, Batman should put on the cape and the whole bit one day. (laughs) Uh, Now, anybody who reminds you, there he is, of the count from Sesame Street, you know he's going to know his numbers. And today, Gary Bettman said, whatever the revenues are for a short NHL season starting next month, the players and the owners split it 50-50. So if the players don't agree to defer around a quarter of their salary for the coming season, the outlay of cash could hurt teams financially in the short term. The thing to it is, there are owners, I am sure, in the NHL right now who really wouldn't mind not playing until September. Take a season off because they can't make money without fans. However, Bettman wants to play even a short season and he's going to try to convince the players that concessions from them is the only way this season can happen. The players have yet to respond to what he said. Well, the NFL became a weekday afternoon show today. The Steelers and Ravens game was uh, trying to steal viewers from General Hospital, which seems strangely appropriate since a bunch of Baltimore Ravens couldn't play this game because of COVID-19. That's why the game was today instead of last Thursday night when it was supposed to be played. Uh, With Baltimore shorthanded, it gave the Steelers a brilliant opportunity to move their record to 11-0. Although they didn't really seize the day, their coach... Mike Tomlin said they played like a junior varsity team. Example, Ben Roethlisberger, what up with that? There's no Steelers near that ball on a fourth down and goal. However, Robert Griffin III had to start for Baltimore today, and he wasn't a lot better. In fact, that's brutal, and that's an easy touchdown off the pick for Joe Hayden. Mind you, Ray Ray McLeod makes a mistake here. Oops! And this would set up a touchdown for the Ravens. That ball's just sitting there for a while. Gus Edwards gets it in from one yard away, and Baltimore's actually up by one because the uh, Steelers missed the convert on their first touchdown. Luke Wilson now playing for the Ravens. So there are two Canadian receivers in this game. Luke with a chance to score. That, oh, he dropped it. I mean, it was a good defensive play, but come on, Luke. Get that one. Anyway... Chase Claypool, the other Canadian out there. This is on a uh, scoring drive, which actually started in the third quarter and then went to the fourth quarter. Claypool had six catches and 52 yards today. It would lead to this touchdown by Juju Smith-Schuster. 
That made it 19-7 in the fourth. But there was one more touchdown. It wasn't from RG3 because he hurt his leg. It's rookie Trace McSorley to Hollywood Brown with one more move and a touchdown. But despite that, the Ravens couldn't get any closer. So Big Ben and the Steelers are now 11-0. And what do they have left in the season? Well, they still have some tough games. They've got Buffalo, they got Indy, and they got Cleveland. Three teams with winning, winning records. Their next game is against Washington. Champions League, Manchester United, Paris Saint-Germain. This should be good. But it really wasn't. Paris Saint-Germain was all over them. Mbappe, unless you're a PSG fan, of course, to Neymar. That's in. Neymar said after the game he'd love to play a game with Lionel Messi. So maybe there will now be rumors that Messi will be heading to Paris. What is Fred up to of Manchester United? That's not good in COVID times or any time. He'd get another yellow and get kicked out of the game. Neymar against 10 men now. It's already 2-1 Paris Saint-Germain. Now it's 3-1. Brilliant counter-attacking football. Man U. Not so good at home today. Luckily, there was no one there to see it. Olivier Giroud, though, and Chelsea had a big day against Sevilla. Giroud had four goals. And at the age of 34, he is the oldest player with a hat trick in this competition since Ferenc Puskas scored three in 1965. And all these goals were actually pretty nice. He may be in his mid-30s now, but he still has the touch. And a pretty good beard, I might add. Rather messy-like. And one more look at another goal. This was his third, right off the top of the head. That might give you a bald spot, but it will give you another goal. Well, we all knew LeBron James wasn't going to leave the Lakers, but that doesn't mean he was going to give them a discount. He said yes to a two-year contract extension today worth $85 million. He's 36 right now, just led L.A. to an NBA championship, which is the reason he went there. Uh, his extension will take him to the summer of 2023 when he will be 39 years old. The NBA ran a bunch of COVID tests because, of course, their training camps are starting. I think it was 46 or 48 players. Anyway, 9% of the players tested positive. There you go. Ooh. All right. Thanks, Squire. Two years, <laughs> 85 million. Almost as much as you make. Yeah, it's, just no, about. it's no global contract. But <laughs> All right, let's check in with Jay Durant now for a preview of Global News at 11. J.D.? Good work if you can get it. We'll mm -hmm. have much more on the new restrictions prohibiting all adult team sports, including beer league hockey and pickup basketball, plus the latest on the COVID-19 outbreak at Burnaby Hospital, which now involves 103 people and 10 deaths. And the slow-moving journey home for one Vancouver Canucks family has spawned a very Canadian donut. Man, those look good, don't they? Those stories and more coming up tonight at 11. Hungry. Thanks, Jay. All right, in a pandemic, it's the perfect place to film a Western. That story coming up next. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross. Flexible small business health benefits for challenging times.
Well, despite the ban on all public gatherings and the annual rodeo being put on hold, it's lights, camera, and pretty much constant action at the Cloverdale Fairground. The 55-hectare site is being put to work during the pandemic as a filming location for Hollywood North. Aaron MacArthur reports. For three quarters of a century, the Cloverdale Rodeo has had a place on the calendar. But like so many events, 2020 saw the May long weekend party go dark and the future looked bleak. We didn't have any income from March 16th until September 4th. We had $30,000 in income. The year before, we had over $3 million in income. No one was laid off. But facing another year of flatlining revenue, there were serious questions about how long that could last. The organization needed to pivot. The answer fell in its lap. Hollywood came calling. And I said, great, what do we need to do? The city rezoned the land, and over the course of four months, Warner Brothers locked up part of the fairgrounds for the next six years. Clark, I need you to get to Metropolis now, it's the voice. Superman and Lois now shooting on a backlot built from scratch. The Agriplex, soon home to a feature film. And it's been a great story. We now have guaranteed income for the Cloverdale Rodeo for the next six years. The Rodeo will be back. Maybe not in 2021. The film sets, though, will become a permanent part of the future of the event. A pandemic pivot to help the organization get to its 75th anniversary. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Nice to see my old BCIT buddy, yeah. Mike McSorley. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Glad you guys are doing well. Popping up on the news hour tonight. All right, and uh, lots of sunshine uh, for tomorrow again, it sounds like, Christy. Not for tomorrow, but on oh, Friday, sorry. Chris. That's yes, when we have it. Yes, sorry, my so bad. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's okay. So that ridge of high pressure is going to break down a little bit. We'll see some cloud cover move in tomorrow. It's still going to be cold and frosty in the morning. Fridays when we're back to sunshine, we should see some on Saturday. Also, before it all breaks down, Saturday night, and that's when the rain will be back for sure. I'm rushing the week. Hey, trying to get to the that's weekend. Okay. Let's get there. <laughs> Let's just call it Friday. We'll see you Monday. Bye. Have a good night, everybody. Yeah.